0: when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you if you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, Jono White. Or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult. I am really, really excited about today's guest. Uh, Jordan Harbinger is a Wall Street lawyer turned podcast interviewer with an approachable style and a knack for securing high-profile guests. His show, The Jordan Harbinger Show, was selected as part of Apple's Best of 2018. There's probably about uh, another five minutes of things I could, I could read, but let's, let's hear from the man himself. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Welcome.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it.
0: To start off, for listeners who, uh, who may not know you, can you give people a bit of a window into your world right now? What are you doing, and uh, what does it look like to be Jordan Harbinger today?
1: Sure, yeah. I run the Jordan Harbinger Show. It's actually one of the largest shows in the world right now, which is pretty cool. I've uh, been doing that for about oh, just under 15 years, and it, I interview brilliant people and make their wisdom available to everyone. That's the idea anyway.
0: Amazing. And uh, the Leadership Conversations podcast is is all about giving leaders a chance to pull up a chair and, and have a listen to your story. So I guess for you, particularly as a, as a leader, and I love John Maxwell's um, idea around leadership, that leadership is influence. And that's what I, I love about uh, you, because there's a lot of leaders listening who might be in a role, but I look at you and I see how much influence you you've had and you're having in many different spheres. And I love that. And that makes me go, wow, this guy is, is leading and influencing people. So tell us a bit of your story, particularly any moments um, around a passion to influence people as you look back over your life. Feel free to go back as far as you want that really shaped you to become the Jordan that you are today.
1: Yeah. Look, in the beginning, I just started learning this stuff for networking purposes. And then I started using it in my dating life because, you know, as one does when you're in your 20s, early 30s. Yeah. But after a while, I realized, you know, these superpowers, if you will, of influence or persuasion, it's not about being slick or anything like that. But the very dumbest thing you can do with great influence is sort of waste it on yourself. So I wanted to help other people learn these kinds of skills, but also use them to better their careers and their organizations and their families and things like that. So that's the sort of the genesis of the Jordan Harbinger show was making sure that other people, these amazing people I have on the show from Kobe Bryant to Ray Dalio or Mark Cuban, I wanted those people to be able to address my audience because it, it just seemed a little bit, look, being selfish makes sense in your 20s, 30s, whatever, because that's just how a lot of people are. Uh, But I like to think I grew out of that. And it made me sort of pivot my whole business slash life, you know?
0: Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I, I resonate with that around the leadership conversations podcast, because I sit back and similar to you, I do a lot of listening to other people's stories and their wisdom. And then I think, oh, man, I feel like I'm learning the most out of anyone. I'm like listener number one. And, um, and it's such a rich experience for me, and I feel like listeners get so much more out of hearing their stories. So, yeah, I, I love that approach. I'm interested to know when you were when you were younger, and you might have you might have shared uh, some of this publicly before. Um, do you remember a moment like the Jordan as a as a kid or growing up where I always hear leaders talk about that moment where you look around, and you realize, oh wow, I'm actually doing. Uh, I've just naturally started uh leading this little community in my in my school or uh for me my niece who's seven years old was it was over the other day and we're playing a game and she's like hiring and firing people and I'm looking at her and she has no idea I'm going wow what are you gonna do when you grow up because that's not normal like she's hiring and firing people in her little imaginary game what about for you do you remember any moments when you were younger where you think yeah that was a, a moment where I guess I was influencing and, and, and shaping things and probably didn't realize it at the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I was always kind of a bossy kid. Some of my friends didn't like it after a while, but I also had a lot of influence growing up because I was always taking charge and it was like, Hey, I am going to do this thing. Do you want to come along? Or I want to learn about this thing. Or I learned about this thing. Let me teach everyone else. So early on, you know, if I really look back, I did teach a lot of my friends a lot of new skills or about new things. And some of it, you know, ended up in mischief as it does when you're a kid. But a lot of it turned out to be really useful, you know. And and I did learn a lot early on about other people by doing things that probably weren't, you know, strictly legal. You know, I used to tap phone calls (laughs) when I was a kid by tapping into people's phone lines and things like that and listening to their conversations. So I got an early education in what it was like to be an adult and face adult problems not not because i had them but because i had a sort of uncensored front row seat to other people's conversations because i was illegally listening to their phone calls so <laughs> you know when you're a kid you, you kind of initially when you're a kid you, adults are like people who drive you places and tell you to do your homework and they're your teachers and your parents but they're never really three dimensional adults, and I, I remember sort of a few watershed moments in my life where that changed. And one, one was the wiretapping thing where I overheard somebody going through a divorce, and I heard him talking to his soon to be ex and his mother, and then also his sister and then his friends, and he was like a different person with each of those people. And and you know, you may have had an experience like this. Once I think I was in sixth grade. One of our teachers, on the last day of school, she started crying in class because she was going through a divorce, mm. and she told us all about it. And it was like twenty twenty hindsight, kind of inappropriate, but also totally made sense. And we all kind of felt bad for her. And so there's just few of those moments when you're that age where you're like, adults also have problems. This is amazing, right? It's really sort of an eye opening thing. I only, I not only had. A, that realization. But then I got like gritty details from some of these phone conversations. And so that really gave me an insight into the mind that I just kind of never and an interest into the mind that really never went away.
0: Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. (laughs) And I, I completely uh, remember looking at adults the same way as, as you described it when you're, when you're little and, and then having that, uh, aha moment that adults actually have, have real problems. And, uh, uh, For you, as you, I I guess, fast forwarding to what you're doing now, and like I said, having such influence, um, there'd be leaders listening who are ticking heaps of boxes in in terms of leadership. They're managing people really well. They're leading with vulnerability. They've really learned a lot about how to hire great people and keep great people. But influencing and getting their ideas out there might be something that they're completely scratching their heads on. Uh, I'd love to hear your sort of advice. What would you say if you're sitting one-on-one with a leader who's leading a great organization, but going, Jordan, how do I sort of get our ideas out there? What What would you say to them?
1: Honestly, I'm not sure. I'm an expert in that area. I, I would say that it's very difficult to get someone's idea if you or get their input. Frankly, if there's not a certain level of trust. And again, I'm no expert in that in the organizational field. But what I've I've found is that a lot of leaders will say. I just want honest feedback and what they mean is I want people to agree with me publicly. (laughs) You know, they don't really want honest feedback. They punish people who give honest feedback, even if it's not obvious, like, Oh, we are demoting you. It's like, maybe if, if the office Brown noser is getting ahead, everyone around you knows that you don't really want honest feedback. You want a yes, man. And so you have to really focus on your actions and the way that things look to others as opposed to, these sort of mottos that come out of corporate afternoon training sessions with a consultant. You know, you you see this all, all the time and you hear about it all the time where it's like some boss gets out of a training and is like, all right, we're going to do this now. And everyone's like, oh, great. The, you know, the revamped management thing of the week is now we're doing this. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work. You know, you need to have that trust with the people under you. And the way that you do that is through long-term, consistent, um behaviors and not like you got inspired by watching a YouTube video or listen to a podcast. It doesn't work. It's like going to the gym to get fit. You don't go once and you're like, well, took care of that. You know, it's a consistency thing. And I've I hear this a lot. You know, leaders will say or people who are in organizations will say, why doesn't my organization, trust me, or why can't we get good ideas out there? Or like, why aren't people putting their own feedback in? And it's like, all right, if we really dig deep, you find that well, this other person who kind of looked like they did that, they rubbed the leader the wrong way, they ended up leaving the company or getting pushed out of the company. And it's like, nobody wants to sign up for that. It's easier to keep your head down. And so you have to be really careful about that. You have to be very careful about that as a leader. It's not about like a trick or tactic to get people to give honest feedback or put their ideas out there. It's making sure that it's safe for them to put their ideas out there.
0: That's amazing advice, and I think, I think you're right. I love what you said about the brown noser and looking, at, and looking at them and saying if they're getting ahead, then everyone knows you're not real about saying you want authentic feedback. What you want is, is, um, mm-hmm. is the yes, man. I think that's a wonderful filter for, for leaders to think about um, what about for entrepreneurs, we we have uh, leaders across the spectrum, you know, on our uh, sort of listening in and, and um, I'm interested to know for you as an entrepreneur, and, and really, I'm looking at what you're doing, and you're incredibly successful. What have you found? Uh, I guess for you, what have you found most challenging as an entrepreneur? The last, you know, the past? Well, it's been a while now you've been doing uh, what you've been doing in various things. But what have you found most challenging as an entrepreneur?
1: Well, candidly, I think, you know, recruiting talent is always very tough. Um, there's a lot yeah. of people out there that are not good at anything. <laughs> and, and I say that sort of tongue in cheek. Of course, those people are good at something. But there's a lot of people that come into organizations that can talk a really big game, but they really can't put their money where their mouth is, or they can't do it consistently. They get really excited for a couple of weeks on the job or a couple of months on the job. And then they move on. And as a leader for a while, I was like, oh, you know, this is maybe this is on me. And I realized after a a lot of of reps here, there are some people that really do deliver what they say. And those people are very few and far between. And there's a lot of people that are a lot of talk. And, you know, again, I used to blame myself for this, but my team hasn't changed pretty much at all for, let's see five or six years now at least and that doesn't even mean you know that and that is like me adding one person during that time Mm. uh who is a superstar that's been with us the whole time i mean i can go back and look at the last seven years and it's pretty static so i don't think it's i think that's a good enough track record where i can say well it's probably not my management style pushing people in and out Mm. (laughs) because i don't really have any out uh at least not from people leaving us I would say willingly, you know, I, there's a lot of people who have failed to deliver on what they've promised. And so that to me has been very, very tricky. I don't worry about it anymore. I have everything that I need, but I would say to people who are leaders, you know, trying to find that needle in a haystack. Yeah. There's something to be said for nurturing talent, but also you got to set boundaries. And I think, you know, leaders, they'll they'll sort of maxim that good help is hard to find, you know, it's, it's that for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, nurturing talent is one thing but i think people who are going into a situation i know we have to sell ourselves to get jobs to get clients to get contracts but we we have to be really careful about that because there's so many people willing to just tell people what they want to hear it will backfire if you are not honest because you can do a bang-up job in something and it's Mm. if it's not what you promised because you promised something that's literally impossible or outside the realm of expectation you're going to run into consequences. And, and that's a big problem. I hire contractors all the time. Yeah. And the ones that do well are the ones that say, realistically, I can probably do this, 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 and this, but I'm not sure about this, 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 and this. They'll work out a lot better, even if they're delivering uh, a, a lower sort of target than someone who goes, I can crush all of these things and then fails to do so. It's like, well, all right one person lied about their or was mistaken, grossly mistaken Mm. about what they could deliver. And the other person was much more candid, but delivered a little bit lower. I'd rather have that person because I can plan for that. You know, (laughs) I don't want to have to guess what you're actually going to do.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So true. Do you have, uh, I guess from your time, uh, leading. And, and like you said, you've had such a solid team, uh, the past six or seven years, which I think is the fruit of doing this really well. But as you look back, are there any stories where you really, where you feel like you or the person really dropped the ball <laughs> that comes to mind as a, uh, Oh man, like that's, that was an absolute, uh, crazy sort of moment or where you really got it right and nailed finding someone or, or, or getting someone and looking at them and they were happy, but you managed to bring them on board and they've stayed with you ever since any stories around that?
1: Uh, sorry, you just cut off at the end of your sentence there. Not sure why.
0: Oh, sorry about that. I was just asking if there are any stories around uh, either losing. Yeah, I heard. Okay,
1: I wasn't sure. I heard the end. Yeah, I would say there are definitely. When I look back, like ten years ago, eight years ago, whatever in my career, some of my other businesses and things like that, I look at times where I, I would hire like the only person who seemed to want to do the job. And then I would be surprised when they did a terrible job or I'd hire some, I was like, I don't want to pay more than X dollars for this. So I'd hire some, you know, literal kid who's probably like 24, 26 at the time, never had a real job. And I'm like, okay, here's your big, project that you're totally unqualified to do. And I'd come back, you know, a week later, how's this going? Well, I haven't really managed to, but I'm playing a lot of Warcraft. And I'd be like, this (laughs) idiot. And I get so mad at them and, you know, can them or penalize them, pay, and then I realized, well, I'm expecting a cat to bark like a dog here. This is a kid. They're not going to be capable of creating this big learning system that I had in mind. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous to think that they would. Uh, this person is lazy, they don't have it, they need to be micromanaged, they don't want to be managed at all. Uh, they read the four-hour work week. Their idea is to work as little as possible. We're a startup that's not going to work. Like that's obvious right. like cultural mismatch and you know it's banging against your head against the wall and sort of being surprised when you don't get the results you wanted it, that's at some point that's your fault right like yeah it goes in hand with the you, you mentioned before you know i'm going to recommend a book but at some point it's like that's your fault mm. for asking somebody to do something that literally they'd have no ability to do you could hold their hand the whole time they probably still wouldn't be able to do it you know
0: yeah yeah uh- I guess, so say, uh, hypothetically, something happened around the, the Jordan Harbinger show where, you know, you had uh, some, some venture capitalist or someone comes along and, there's, and it's an awesome opportunity. But it means you need to overnight go and, and hire 10 more superstars to do X, Y or Z. What would you, how would you go about doing that if you had to bring on a bunch of new people and go and find great talent in the market right now?
1: Right now, I mean, right now I'd ask my existing superstars to recommend people because mm. it's not a rule, but if I put a job applica- or a job a- out there, I'm going to get 7 billion applications back. Yeah. But if I ask for referrals from people that I trust, the, when I say my superstars, it doesn't even have to be people that work here. Those would be yeah. the best people to request from, but there's also going to be people that I just know uh, who are really good. I'm going to put my feelers out to my network and say, this is what I'm looking for because they, most people in my network, of course, they're going to be conscious of their own reputation. They're not going to recommend somebody who they just happen to know is unemployed. That's not going to be a good look for them. Yeah. So I'm going to want a referral. I'm going to want a warm introduction because that yeah. is always, always, always the best way to find the best people. The other thing I'm going to do is pay above market because superstars know that they are worth more than their colleagues because they have worked before and they go, gosh, I'm the one towing the entire weight around here. I'm basically doing the entire project for my division. My manager is more or less useless. The other three people in the department are mailing it in. They know that. Whether they're going to be, they might be too humble to admit it, but they know that. And so when they're looking for a new project, they're going to be looking to get compensated for that. And as a business owner, you know, I, I, I understand it when you run a restaurant and need a bunch of line cooks, you pay X dollars an hour because that's market in your area. If I want to get something done and it's important, it's like a very important opportunity, I'm mm-hmm. going to overpay because I want the best talent. I mean, I live in Silicon Valley. That's how it works here. There's yeah. a reason Facebook is paying more than, I don't know, Oracle. One, they mm. have to now because their reputation sucks. But two, they want the best people in whatever niche it is, and they can't get them if they're like, oh, yeah, well, we're paying the same as everyone else, except for you get to look at Mark Zuckerberg going to and from his car. Lucky you. <laughs> no, it's about, you know, if you, you woo them with a mission, but then it's like, you know, these people can up and leave, especially if they're really talented. So pay yeah. through the nose. Money is not what you're trying to optimize for here.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's such good advice. And it reminds me, I literally have a local business that I noticed always has great staff. And I asked some of them one time, I was like, I'm not trying to poach you anywhere else, but where did you guys find out? Just because I kept noticing, they've got like lots of different locations. And every time I'm there, they, they just have excellent people. And I just asked some of the staff and they said, oh, we they don't put job ads out. They just ask us to refer friends. And it's so funny. They're just like a little mm-hmm. local in Brisbane, like a bunch of different different locations but it's exactly the same sort of idea that you said there get your get superstars who work for you or in your network to refer people and then be willing to pay through the nose
1: exactly and of course you know they're going to get along you're not going to get some weird cultural fit because your head server recommended her roommate who she's lived with for three years that works at a different restaurant so they're going to work well together probably yeah. Or at least better than some other person who comes in and is like a total train wreck. You know, you want that kind of thing. And since their reputation is on the line, they don't want to bring in somebody who's terrible because they actually care. They're going to have to see that person every day. So if they refer somebody and that person stops showing up, it makes them look bad. They're not going to want to risk that. When you get a job, I mean, especially you're talking about a place that has like food service or or other entry level jobs. I mean, turnover is huge in part because you know all of the high school kids, college kids here in the United States doing that, yeah. it's hard enough to find somebody who's going to care about that. So you really do have to find professionals. And the way you do that is you say, "Hey, I know you make a hundred bucks a day over at this bar. What about a hundred and twenty-five bucks a day? And also, we will never put you on uh, one of your days off without you giving us explicit permission. You know, yeah. or or some other sort of benefit where that that says." we actually care that you have a life outside of work and we're not going to jerk you around. And, you know, in the United States, we have like benefits issues and I I can't remember where they start. Something like you got to work 40 hours a week. So there's stories galore on Reddit of like Mm. restaurants or whatever it is, or major chains putting people on 35 hours a week so they don't have to pay benefits. And nothing says, I don't give a crap about my employees and my team, like making sure they can't get healthcare or something along those lines, you know? So you have to really be, you know what I've noticed, and I don't know if this is just a US thing, Mm. there's this whole sort of, we're one big family over here at Jordan Harbinger Farms, come work with us. And what family means is, we're gonna ask ridiculous things of you All the time, but it's because we're family. But the second you need something like, hey, things aren't going well for me. I need some time off. That old family thing goes out the freaking window and then suddenly you're out on your ass. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were family. Yes, we're the kind of family where we have you do things for us. But as soon as you need something from us, it's F you. And and that's that's what a lot of times that actually means. So I would almost say as a job tip, beware of never put "we're a big family" in your ad, uh, in your job applicant or your uh, uh ad because it's going yep. to sound like that to a lot of people, and also it's not freaking true. <laughs> and if you see that in a job ad. Don't necessarily assume that they mean you're going to be treated well. Some families are highly dysfunctional, and usually they're the ones where in the job application, it says we're going to treat you like family. They don't mean like your family. They mean like a family you wouldn't want to be a part of most of the time. <laughs> That's so good. I love it.
0: Uh, well, let's uh, just uh, to sort of land, uh, land the plane today, Jordan, let's jump into Leadership Express. I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions. You ready? Sure. What's a book that you've gifted a lot to other people?
1: Uh, I've gifted this book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. I'm I'm sure people have talked about it on your show before, but uh, it's great. When I mentioned it before, or when I mentioned before that, you know, at some point you making XYZ mistake is your fault. That's what Mm. extreme ownership is all about. It's okay. Maybe this person did steal from you. They're a bad person. Why? What part of this is your fault slash mm. in your control? Oh, well, we didn't run background checks on our uh, cash handling staff. Okay, so that's something you can change. You know, You can't change that creepy criminals are applying to your stuff. So you look up and down the chain, or mm. especially at yourself, for what you can own. And so like I said, with that guy I hired a long time ago, who was just a kid and couldn't get anything done, that was actually my fault. Yes, he was useless. Why did he make it that far in my Mm. hiring process and in my organization? Well, that's on me.
0: Yeah, great recommendation and uh, great advice. What's a time management or productivity tip or a tool or resource you
1: use? I live by my calendar. And a lot of people go, no, no, I mean like a fancy thing. No, Don't ask about a fancy thing. I I never allow people to do that because I go, what's on your calendar for the day? And there's like one or two things on there and it's a phone call and the rest of it's blank. Mm. My day is planned out in little increments everything from basically when i wake up to to the end of the work day in any case is blocked yep. off and what that does is it makes sure that i have time to do everything because it doesn't say i don't have a to do list that says do all your emails i have an hour for email in the morning and yes. when that hour is up it doesn't matter if i'm at zero inbox yeah it i stop doing email and so i don't i get more done in one day than most people do in the better part of their week and the reason is because everything is planned out. I don't have to think about what to do next on a daily basis. I just look at my calendar and it's probably been there for two weeks already. And, <laughs> and people go, well, there's no flexibility in that. Yes, there is. I build the flexibility in there. You know, I might make a 90-minute lunch. And so if something has to run over or I have to go run some errand or get a phone call in, well, I can do it during that time. And then I still have time for lunch. So I don't ever have this like, oh my gosh, I've got to eat and be on a conference call and be driving. That literally never happens to me because I plan better.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Speaking of advice, what's a great piece of advice you've received at some point?
1: Ooh, good question. Um, A good piece of advice that I've received at some point, I mean, it's probably one of those old like Oprah cliches where it's like when people show you who they are, believe them. You know, I... I've routinely sort of given people another chance or another chance here or believed an excuse about something. And it's like, well, no, your actions were pretty clear. You are kind of a you know, POS. I should have paid closer attention. And I had business partners for a while that were just candidly like kind of crappy people that were never going to succeed. And I towed them along for a long time. And one of the reasons that I did that was I was I believed a lot of the nonsense uh, instead of just looking at their track record as humans and being like oh yeah scoreboard says you're never going to do what it takes to be successful i should just bounce so i stayed in that business for a really really long time uh and then when i left it was kind of funny cuz i they were like you're never going to succeed on your own you couldn't possibly redo all these things we've done and blah blah and then within like 8 months i'd already had my business where that old business was after 11 years in terms of like gross revenue. And so that told me everything I need. And now we're like, you know, 20 times the size. So that told me everything I needed to know about how long I stayed in that business.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. Uh, Well, just to wrap things up, where can people find you? Uh, You've already mentioned the show, but can you just mention that again? And, And anything right now that you're particularly passionate about that people can jump into and find about you, Jordan?
1: Sure, yeah, the Jordan Harbinger Show, H H-A-R-B A R B is in boy I N is in Nancy G E R, the Jordan Harbinger Show, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to show, uh, your pods, and or jordanharbinger.com. I'm just stoked about growing my show. You know, it's one of the uh we were number 20 for most downloaded show in the United States in December, so that was kind of cool. I'm just Excited about that! I've got a new baby who's a month old, so I am wow. restructuring my work schedule so that I can spend lots of time with my kids. So I'm done by four or four thirty every weekday because my son comes back from school, and I'm like, I'm just gonna not do any other work and play with my kid. And I don't, I, I never met anybody that regretted spending spending too much time with their kids. So uh, I just decided to start early and do that. He's only about three, so so that's what I'm excited that's what gets me oh I morning. love but that Pete, for, I know your audience doesn't care but
0: yeah no, that's, that's yeah yeah great. it
1: is nice yeah
0: yeah I, I, I'm glad that I'm doing
1: it I, but uh I would say you know the uh the thing that your audience actually cares about is scaling the Jordan Harbinger show and the guests that I have on are also you know they light me up I, it never feels like work
0: yeah thank you for sharing that and I know that's always what leaders talk about is uh is family uh well um I just want to say a massive thank you to you, Jordan, for coming on the show, and uh, and also to our listeners. Don't forget, you can check out the leadership question of the day, where I put a stone in your shoe around leadership, and the John O'White Leadership Podcast. There are a couple of other podcasts we have, but I just want to finish by saying thank you, Jordan, for coming on, and um, it's been it's been a joy, and uh, yeah, just one of the highlights of of my month having you having you on here. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it.
0: or clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community, and there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again.